Hello, this is Steffi and welcome to the Financial Fox Bitcoin series, a series of interviews I have done with leaders, with founders, with experts and pioneers in the Bitcoin space. This is a deep dive into the Bitcoin ecosystem. It's going to be a great journey for myself and I hope it's going to be a great journey for you as well. On the first episode of the Bitcoin series, I'm excited to say that I have Bobby Lee, a Bitcoin pioneer, entrepreneur, is the founder and CEO of Ballet Cold Storage Cryptocurrency Wallet, is a board member of the Bitcoin Foundation and the author of a great book that I recommend to everybody interested in learning about Bitcoin, The Promise of Bitcoin, which is available on Amazon. So Bobby has been in the crypto space uh, since uh, almost since the beginning. I mean, 12 years in crypto, he founded BTC China, the China's first cryptocurrency exchange and which was sold in 2018. I really enjoyed this conversation with Bobby and uh, the same way that I enjoy reading his book. And I hope that you find the conversation inspiring as well. If you are not subscribed to our YouTube channel, click the subscribe button now and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews. Let's now get Bobby on the show and let's dive deep into Bitcoin. Hi, Bobby. How are you? Hi, Steffi. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. Now, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, it's such a pleasure to have um, a such impor important person like you, a pioneer in Bitcoin and crypto and, uh, you know, real expert in the space as well. So thank you for coming. Maybe we can start with uh, a short introduction. Uh, probably most of people know who you are, but maybe maybe some, uh, they are new to the crypto space and maybe they don't know who you are. So it would be great if you can give just uh, a short introduction of yourself uh, and uh, some of the achievement that you have accomplished over the last decade. Sure, sure. So I've been in crypto for a little over 12 years. I started uh, in Bitcoin uh, doing mining in, in early 2011. And uh, that was just mining uh, Bitcoin using a computer uh, with graphics cards. So that was really early, just in 2011. And um, and then I got into it professionally full-time in, in early 2013 uh, as a co-founder and CEO of BTC China. So BTC China was the very first uh, Bitcoin exchange in China. So we eventually became the world's largest by trading volume by the end of the year and also brought sort of China to the market for Bitcoin and became a, a big uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, big part of the ecosystem for, for Bitcoin and crypto. So that was in uh, 2013 and on. And then I, I ran the company for a little bit over five years and sold the company in 2018. And then uh, took a year off, and then I started a new company called Ballet. So with Ballet, we make cold storage for cryptocurrency. So it comes in these metal cards. So this is uh, one of the products. It's a cold storage, very simple, easy to use. It requires no setup, and uh, it's ready to use. So it's one of the safest ways to store and custody your own Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So it has multi-currency support. 
It even supports all of the NFTs and the Bitcoin ordinal NFTs and so on. And in the last uh, two years, I also wrote a book. It's called The Promise of Bitcoin. I'm a big Bitcoin fan. So this book is about Bitcoin. It's about Bitcoin as the future of money, how it's freedom of money, and how it can work for you as an investment choice. So this is a very, it's done very well in the market. It's already become a Wall Street Journal national bestseller in the United States. And it's available on Amazon, both as hard copy, as an ebook, and also as an audiobook. So uh, yeah, recently recorded my own audiobook voiceover for this, uh, for this book. Fantastic. Bobby, I read the book. I spent all weekend in a deep dive into the book and it was amazing. I mean, I've been in crypto since 2017. I'm not an OG, but, um, you know, you get into crypto and then because of the hype, you kind of get dragged away on different kind of uh, small project and you actually don't uh, dedicate right. enough time to actually discover the origin of Bitcoin, the origin of crypto, the real, I mean, the, the first and, and the most important cryptocurrency, uh, which is Bitcoin, and all the rest is copycat, right? <laughs> yes, in some ways, in some ways. In some yeah. ways. So maybe starting with the book, which I recommend anybody watching to read this book, you don't need any kind of like uh, uh, previous knowledge about crypto or Bitcoin. You just need to read the book because you share your story and your experience and it's fantastic. So let's start with that and uh, let's talk a little bit about the origin of Bitcoin. Why as in uh, at that time was the right time for Bitcoin to kind of uh, start, even though it didn't start with uh, the Satoshi white paper, there was some history that led to that. So I would like to kind of like unfold the origin of Bitcoin and why we got uh, to that event when Bitcoin was born. Sure, sure. Bitcoin was conceived through the white paper, uh, which was released in October 31st of 2008. So that was the, the beginning of Bitcoin, uh, the white paper when it was first released by Satoshi Nakamoto online. And then soon after, probably three months after in January and February, that's when Satoshi Nakamoto himself, they, they released uh, the, the software so people can start running the software and connect to the nodes. Um, now, in 2009, this is very early, right? This is, this is over 14 years ago. But the key thing to remember here is that Bitcoin was not intended to start on that year per se, because what's, what's what really happened, if you look at the history of the internet and of software and crypto cypherpunks, is that since the 1980s and 1990s, computer scientists and hackers and cypherpunks, they've been trying to create the digital version of money, electronic money. They want to do something special, which is to create a digital version of money that was not centrally controlled by a company. If something is centrally controlled by a company, it's very easy. It wouldn't have required the blockchain. It wouldn't have required to wait until 2008 and 2009, right? Even using database technology from the 1960s, when IBM invented the database, uh, computers and companies could create digital money. It's just accounting transactions in the database. No different than Visa, MasterCard transactions that occurred in the 1980s and earlier. However, to do it in a decentralized way where there's no central authority controlling the amount of coins being sent between one person to another, that required innovation, that required a scientific breakthrough. And 
Uh, there has been many false starts. There's many precursors to Bitcoin, but none of those projects, none of those systems were fully functional and solved all the aspects that needed to be solved for digital money. And it was not until the white paper was was released in October of 2008 and not until Bitcoin itself was released and started running live in January of 2009. That's when Bitcoin came alive. So for the first time in human history since 2009, now we have the system of called Bitcoin, which is electronic digital money that has a finite issuance. So Bitcoin was designed to be limited. There's only 21 million Bitcoins that's ever going to exist and it's being generated slowly through a process called mining. So mining is a process where Bitcoin comes out into the system for the world to use. And as of today, there's over 19 million Bitcoins in circulation all around the world. And there's gonna be another less than 2 million Bitcoins gonna come out. That's gonna take another 120 years for those 2 million Bitcoins to come out. So it's gonna take a long time and it's a finite resource. It's a digital currency, decentralized. Uh, anyone can use it and there's no authority to apply for permission to use it. Uh, you can create a Bitcoin account by generating a private key. Uh, and then there's no ID requirements. There's no minimum age. There's no nationality requirements. There's no discrimination for gender, for religion, or for any other things people can be discriminated against. So it's really free for the humanity to use. And this is what's really amazing about Bitcoin. Uh, so I've been, I've been, you know, learning about Bitcoin since, uh, 2000. 11 and it's been a great journey for the last uh, 12 years. That's great and uh, I think one of the points uh, that you stress on in the book it was that Bitcoin is freedom of money and money are a right to anyone in the world. So uh, and then you share some of your experience about with the banks and when you wanted to go to play poker and you couldn't withdraw the money. And it was like, yes, yes. you know, a really great example that actually shows that, you know, you work hard, you put together money, you go to the bank, you give it to them, and then you are not able to use them the way you want. So, yes, um, yes please explain. Yeah, let me talk about that. Yeah, d definitely. Yeah. So freedom, when something, when we say something is free, like we say free software, uh, it's really, it's really free to use, right? It's, it's the, free, it's a total term of free speech and not free beer. Okay. The difference is, uh, free speech. When we exercise free speech, you know, many democratic countries in the world, especially the U S and most European countries have free speech. It means that we can speak our mind. We can say what we want to say. Uh, without political lashback, okay? So, so, and this is not true in all countries, by the way. So, uh, with money, you also want freedom of money. And the reason is that money, if you think about money, we all have money. Some people have more money than others, but the reality is we all have money. And the reason is money is the lubrication of society. It what, what's allows us, it what allows us to, to buy things, work for money and pay for things and save for the future and so on. So money is this sort of um, special, has special function where we work, whether we work an hourly part-time job or we have a full-time job and get a salary, it's basically a measurement of the labor that we put out to, to, to society, right? When we work, we save money. And the idea is that you don't spend all of your money that you make right away, right? Because if you're spending all the money you make right away, then you don't have money to, 
to pay for your rent, you don't have money to pay for your vacation and so on. So you try to save it. So money, the money that you have in your bank account, or if you have a, an app like Cash App or PayPal or Alipay, WeChat Pay, any of those payment pro companies, the money that you have accumulated, whether it's your banks or non-bank financial institutions, is basically proof of the work you've done for society, whether it was last week, last month, or maybe 10 years ago. So people who retire, the reason why they have money is because they saved all their money from working hard and did not spend, they did not spend it 10, 20, 30 years ago. So what's important is in a free society, we, we as human beings want to have the freedom to spend the money however we want. Because if we make the money and we can't spend the money, then what's the point, right? Essentially, if we make the money and the money cannot be spent, it might be confiscated, it might be held, and someone judges what we can I cannot spend, then we're essentially locked up. It's, it's no different than modern slavery. Right. I know it's a, it's, a, it's an extreme example, but Im imagine if you have to work hard all your life and you don't get to spend the money. Then how is it different than uh, being uh, working for a master? Right. So so the point is you as in a free society, you want to have the freedom to spend the money however you like. OK, so there should in theory, in my in my opinion, there should not be a judge of how you want to spend it. So, for example, as long as it's legal, then you should be able to spend it. For example, in the book, I talk about uh, playing poker at the World Series of Poker in Las Vegas, right? So I need to get money out from the bank. But because I was taking out $20,000 in cash, the bank teller, they were trying to convince me not to do it. They're asking me all these questions. Why am I taking all the cash out? What am I going to do with it? So it's very nosy and it makes me uncomfortable because it feels like if I don't tell them the truth, then they might not allow me to, but if I tell them the truth, they might judge me whether or not they think it's good for me to go take money, take cash out and go gamble at a casino, right? So these are the issues with money. With Bitcoin, if I have custody of my own Bitcoin, I could spend it however I want with no other person, no other bank manager, no other institution judging me for how I spend my money. Yeah, it's crazy the situation that, I mean, you and many other people got to where you know, you need, you want to withdraw your money and then they think they are protecting you uh, from uh, doing exactly. something. Maybe they think that you're not telling the truth where in those situations you were going to, you were honest to them. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is, uh, it is, uh, it is a big uh, problem and uh, that's yes. what Bitcoin is sold. So, now, Bitcoin... Yeah. There, there was also, I'll tell you another example. In the book I mentioned yeah. this also. There's another example where um, they use the excuse to protect me, but they disallow me to make a bank transfer. So I was in a bank branch in California. I want to send money, wire money from United States, California to Hong Kong, okay, which is far away. And, um, and I was there in person. I was there in person at the bank. I had my ID with me. I could prove to them who I am. And I had the debit card. I had my ID. I had the bank account number. I had access to the to the pin card to the pin code for the card and i was trying to wire some money to the other country and it required more and more levels of approval and almost i was there for like two hours they almost wouldn't let me send the money I, I, yeah because because it was for my protection they claimed that it was for my protection that they think it's fraud but i'm telling you i it's like hey if i send it i sign off and I, i'm not going to blame the bank but they still try to not let me send the money uh, in the name of protecting me. So that that's very, in, in my opinion, that was that was crossing the line. That was terrible. 
Yes, and also we, I mean, here we are not mentioning about all the fees they charge on the tops. So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, even when you ask for cash and they wanted to give you the check because they, they were yeah. getting the cut off uh, yeah. the transaction, there was uh, uh, interesting. So, okay, so we established that Bitcoin is freedom of money, which is what we deserve because money is our right as we work. Yes. You know, for it now, Bitcoin has been considered the new gold. So tell me, I mean, you have got um, history with the with the gold industry as well, uh, so you know these assets uh, um, very well. So, do you see Bitcoin as the new gold? Well, a, a few things first. So, so, so I don't have a history with the gold industry. I have history with gold as an investment. Yeah. So, even as a young young child. My, my father and my grandparents would uh, would teach me about the value of gold. And uh, for certain anniversaries and birthdays, they would give us some small gold coins and, and gold jewelry, necklaces, and so on. So I valued gold even as a young child growing up in Africa and going to Hong Kong and the United States. So from very early age, I understood the value of gold, of precious metals, of money. Now, what's, in, what's interesting is gold has been the world's choice as money for thousands of years, okay, for thousands of years in all pockets of civilizations on the planet Earth, gold became the de facto standard as money, okay? But what's, what's, what I want to point out here is that gold is the approximation of what good money is. However, gold itself has never claimed to be the perfect money. There is an ideal concept of the perfect kind of money, and gold has many of the characteristics of perfect money, okay? But in, in my opinion today, especially now 12 years later, having having been involved with Bitcoin and, and, and researching it and learning about it for the last 12 years, I truly believe today that Bitcoin is a more perfect form of money than gold is. So it's not that Bitcoin is trying to copy gold, but Bitcoin is trying to become the ultimate form of money, the theoretical 100% absolute form of money. And Bitcoin is closer to that. So maybe it's 99.99%, whereas gold is slightly less perfect. Okay? So, and may, maybe in some ways gold is a little bit better, but in many ways Bitcoin is better than gold. So that's why people, some people say you know, Bitcoin is digital gold, but in my opinion, Bitcoin is just a better version of gold that's closer to the perfect form of money. Okay, that's interesting. And central banks, they own gold. So They do. In the, and a lot of gold. So yes. in the future, do you see central banks or you know financial institutions and owning Bitcoin? Do you see Bitcoin going on the balance sheet? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the, the reason central banks own gold is also for historical reasons. You know, like I said, for the vast majority of humanity, uh, thousands of years, countries and banks and companies and rich people all owned precious metals, gold, and silver. Okay, so that's, if you look at history, that's vast majority of history did that. Today, most people don't own gold. If you look at, if you see people on the street, most of them don't own gold. I do, I invest in gold. Central banks do, countries do. Um, the reason they do it is because in the end, the central bankers, they understand their money, what we call fiat money. I don't care if it's the United States dollar or the euro. That money is actually not based on anything solid. It's not tied to anything solid, right? So what you want is you want to make sure there's some underlying value 
that can rep- that that whole, that um, underlying asset class that is backing the fiat money, right? People say, "Oh, the U.S. dollar is backed by the U.S. economy." Well, that's sort of true, but the reality is the U.S. dollar is almighty because the U.S. has the world's largest reserve of gold, right? It has eight thousand tons of gold, and this is more than any country. And by the way, China is trying to catch up. There are some people who say that China secretly has already caught up and has over ten thousand. Uh, tons of gold, but uh, but we'll see. But many of the other countries have only a few thousand, and some only have a few hundred tons of gold. Okay, so uh, going back to Bitcoin and uh, comparing perhaps Bitcoin with other cryptocurrency that came after. So tell me your theory about Bitcoin as the first cryptocurrency um, asset, and what do you think about you know the, the other ones? And all the experimentation okay. that is happening right right now yeah. has been. I, yeah, I think I think um, I, I do have a good answer for this. If you pe- people wrong, in my opinion, people wrongly assume that Bitcoin as a crypto um, is similar to many other of the newer cryptos that are also launched as their own cryptos, either as its own main chain or either as a token on ERC twenty or whatnot. Okay, so there are literally thousands of cryptocurrencies out there, maybe over 10,000, right? Uh, and maybe maybe a few hundred main chains uh, uh, out there, main, main blockchains, okay, main networks. Now, the way I see it is Bitcoin not only is the first and original cryptocurrency, but it's also the first and original p- cryptocurrency that was meant to be money, okay? So th- this is a very important part. Bitcoin was invented, was created to be digital money. Many of the other cryptos that came after it, in fact, all of them, they came out with a different purpose. Okay, so practically no cryptocurrency out there is tackling the same problem that Bitcoin is solving, which is as generic digital money. Everyone out there is doing something a little bit different, some are way different, and in my opinion, that's why you can't compare them. Okay, so if you look at, for example, gold, gold is is one of a class of material called metals. It's actually a narrow class called precious metals. Gold is one of the several precious metals, and the precious metals are a, are a small portion of all metals, right? all different kinds of metals in the periodic table of natural elements. right? So what I'm trying to say is different metals have different uses, but the only metal that is truly, truly good for money is gold. Silver comes second place, but gold is first place. So with, with with cryptocurrency, I think Bitcoin is the only only crypto that is here to be as money, and that's the significance of it. And that's why I think it makes for a great investment, especially as the world is changing. You know, the U.S. dollar is declining in its sort of global nature. And I do think, to answer your earlier question, I do think central banks will will soon. It might take t- twenty years, but will soon um, start holding Bitcoin. As a reserve asset, because Bitcoin is truly limited. If as long as as soon as one country starts holding Bitcoin reserves, then many other countries will be will be compelled to start doing the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree that as well. Uh, now you said that because you said the Bitcoin main use case is money, 
really. I would like to hear what you have to say about all the uh, experimentation that is happening within the Bitcoin space that is gathering a lot of controversy because of rising fees and, you know, NFTs on Bitcoin, BRC20, you know, it's kind of like an explosion uh, or experiment on the Bitcoin chain. And uh, um, I mean, you are a Bitcoin pioneer. So how do you see this experimentation going on uh, on in the Bitcoin space? It's it's fine because it doesn't. These are all experimentation experimentation on Bitcoin, but it doesn't affect Bitcoin's fundamental use as money. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. So, for example, if you look at in the U.S., you have the U.S. dollar. Okay, um, there are people who use the U.S. dollar as art. Maybe they they make um, they make uh, statues or they make necklaces or they make some paper art by folding U.S. dollars. Or they make artwork from the coins of the U.S. dollar coins, so they can make art from that. And also for gold, if you think of gold, what is jewelry? Jewelry, you know, some men wear gold gold chains and and bra- uh, bracelets. Some women wear gold earrings and necklaces. And gold jewelry is using gold, which is precious metal, which is money, to make it look pretty for someone to wear it, and it. It sort of shows off the the wealth of the person wearing the gold jewelry, right? Traditionally, that's how it was. So, to to me, the the NFTs, the ordinals, and all this fancy stuff going on in Bitcoin, it's it's a little bit similar to how people use gold as jewelry. So, hey, if you want to hold, if you want to invest in gold as gold coins or whatnot, you're allowed to do that. And if you want to spend more money and create artwork and jewelry from gold, that's that's your choice. And some people are choosing to create art and create other sort of fancy things from the Bitcoin ordinals. And that's that's their choice. And you're right that it's creating more more fees, it's making it a little bit slightly more expensive. But in the end, the the price to pay to send Bitcoin around, it's still very, very affordable. It's still very, very insignificant compared to, to how real money works in the banking system. I love the comparison you made between ordinals and jewelry. It's brilliant. So yes. um and it's the first time they're here, so it's fantastic. Okay, so let's uh, talk a little bit about the Bitcoin horsemen because uh, there are three very important. So if you look at Bitcoin as an investment, you need to understand these three pillars. Uh, so yes. do you want maybe to list them and tell a little bit about it? Yes. So you talk about which you talk about the three horsemen, right? The exchanges. Yes. So this is in chapter two. Chapter two. Chapter so basically. Two. There's the three horsemen. I call the three horsemen. It's basically the three fundamentals of Bitcoin, right? So basically, he's talking about mining first, yes. mining, uh, and then talk about wallets for storing the Bitcoins. So mining is how you get the Bitcoins. Wallets how you store the Bitcoin. And exchanges, which is how people go exchange back and forth between Bitcoin and fiat currencies. I call these the three horsemen because these are the three pillar industries in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem and extended to the crypto ecosystem. And this is how it all started, you know, 10, 14 years ago. So with mining, basically, it's about people and now companies at large scale putting in the investment to buy the hardware machines to plug it in and run them 24 hours a day to calculate the algorithms which allow you to sort of win the lottery and win the Bitcoin. Okay, so people join mining pools for that. Uh, basically, in the beginning, early days, in back in 2009, every six minutes, or sorry, every 10 minutes, 
uh, six times an hour, people have a chance to win 50 Bitcoins. Okay. But however, now it's down to only six and a half Bitcoins, six and a quarter Bitcoins worth of new Bitcoins. So it's cut down uh, by half three times already. It goes from 50 to 25, 25 to 12 and a half, 12 and a half to 6.25. Okay. So the next halving is actually coming next year, at which point it'll go from 6.25 to 3.125. So this is going to happen every four years. The amount of new Bitcoins will decline every four years that comes into supply. That's why we eventually hit a limit of 21 million Bitcoins. So mining is a process of people using computing power to sort of compete to see who can win the prize with a new Bitcoin. And that's how new Bitcoin comes into circulation. That's also how the mining computer power can sustain and protect the network because it's through the mining process that all the Bitcoin transactions, if I want to send you some Bitcoin, that transaction record has to be placed into the blockchain, but it only gets placed in the blockchain by the mining machine that does the most work, that has done the most computation. So it's a very, very rigorous uh, sort of crypto math based way to make the blockchain very strong and also have a way to reward all the participants of the mining network. Okay, so that's the first horseman. The second horseman is the wallets. Uh, maybe I'll talk about exchanges first, but essentially the wallets are a business. You have custodial wallets, you have non-custodial wallets, which are self-custody. Uh, basically allow for companies or individuals to, uh, to offer a service or to store themselves. So with cryptocurrency, you want a way to store your cryptocurrency because it's all digital information, right? So for example, what, what we make at Ballet is we make a cold storage device. This card is cold storage because it's not connected to the internet. And this card by itself can store Bitcoin or all the other cryptocurrencies for you. And it becomes on the card and becomes something physical you can hold, you can protect and keep it in the safe, okay? So uh, whether you use a cold storage or whether you use a hot wallet that's on your phone or whether you use an exchange platform to store your coins on them, uh, those are the ways you can store your digital assets. And the third horseman is exchanges and they provide the critical service, at least for now, because the world is still hybrid. Hybrid meaning that the world mostly runs on fiat currency, but the world is switching over to digital assets, digital currencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other coins. And um, um, this won't be fully transitioned over, right? We'll still have a hybrid economy for decades, right? So exchanges allow for people to switch between fiat money like the US dollar, the euro, or the Japanese yen into something like Bitcoin or Ethereum or other digital currencies. So these are the three sort of core pillar industries for the for the crypto and Bitcoin ecosystem. So uh, th thank you for that. When uh, you talk about wallets uh, in the section of your book, you mention about obviously different levels of security and also different level also of uh, expertise, technological expertise in order to use this wallet. Now, you yes. mentioned before about Ballet and the one of the key aspects of your project is actually to make a storage that is very user-friendly because one of the problems of you know, onboarding more users to crypto or Bitcoin is really understanding the technicality behind the storing the wallet. So let's say that I uh, store in the wallet, storing the crypto to assets. Crypto, let's, yes. Let's say that I'm uh, a newbie to uh, crypto and uh, what will be your advice after I purchase my Bitcoin to store them? Uh, what, you know, 
how should I do it? And I'm not an expert, yeah. right? Yes. So my advice is very clear. I started this company, Ballet, to, to exactly, precisely answer the question and solve the problem for you as a new person. So if you're a new person company with crypto, by far, by far, the choice I recommend is to purchase a Ballet cold storage card. You can buy this on Amazon globally. You can also buy it from Ballet.com website, and it'll ship to you very fast. And you you buy your Bitcoin or other crypto. Uh, you buy usually on an exchange. You buy from someone else. And what you the important thing, in my opinion, is you don't let that company or that person store it for you. You want to store it yourself and hold it yourself. So you then ask them to send those Bitcoins to you to this address that's on your ballet card. So each ballet card, cold storage, has a different QR code, a different unique address. These are all ready to go. There's no setup process, super, super easy. You buy it, you open the package. It's a genuine ballet card. Uh, and then you can download the app. Even the app on the phone is optional because you don't even need to use the app to receive money. You could just show, send a photo of this, of this card to any of your friend or to the exchange and they can then withdraw the Bitcoins onto this address. Okay, it's very, very easy. If you want to uh, receive you know, Ethereum, Litecoin or other cryptocurrencies, then you download the app, it'll show you the different addresses for the same wallet uh, card, okay? So this is by far the best choice. And when you once you have your cryptocurrency and Bitcoin on this card, this is your digital currency money. It's on here. Don't lose it because it's a bare asset. There's no passwords, nothing to memorize. It's great for gifting. You could give it to a family member. You can give it to your children. Give it to your father or mother for Father's Day, Mother's Day. You can give it as a wedding gift or you can save it for yourself for your future, right? Give it to yourself in 20 years by storing it safely. And then you come back in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and then you retrieve the money. And by then, hopefully, it'll be worth a lot more than today. So I this is the best choice. I thought it was great also the fact that you offer kind of like card with, you know, physical Bitcoin. I mean, the ballet card already. That's right. Already with Bitcoin, they actually you can buy and maybe give them to your son, to your nephew. Um, is is a really a nice way also to onboard more people to the space. Now, I briefly want to mention about proof of work versus other proof of consensus, uh, blockchain consensus. And, and we have yes, seen... Yes. Yes. Obviously, Ethereum moving to pro proof of stake and Bitcoin yes. has been left. As a, is that the only proof of work? So there, there are a lot of proof, proof of work coins. Ethereum used to be proof of work, yeah. but they last year they switched over to proof of stake. Uh, Bitcoin is still proof of work. There are many other chains like Litecoin, Dogecoin is also proof of work. There's still many, many cryptocurrencies that are proof of work and many currencies that are proof of stake. So there's two ways to do it. They're technically very different. It's just a, it's called a consensus model. It's basically what system do you use to guarantee that there's a lot of consensus, a lot of agreement on what is the truth, right? So with proof of work, it's basically saying you use computer power, computing power to measure the truthfulness of the system. So when when a when a specific blockchain specific sort of state of the system has a lot of work proved in, then that is a truth. Uh, that's why no one can hack Bitcoin and take it over. That's why no one can steal someone else's Bitcoin because uh, because the, the proof of work guarantees that everything in the rec in the Bitcoin record, in the transaction record is legitimate and it's, it's uh, sort of agreed by everyone doing the Bitcoin mining. And there's a lot of people, a lot of hash power, a lot of computing power that's doing the Bitcoin mining. So no evil country, no evil company 
can hijack the Bitcoin blockchain to do something else. Uh, and with proof of stake, rather than use computing power, they all agree. So many of the people, they form a consortium of maybe seven computers or 7,000 computers, and then they all agree that this is the truth and this is the latest transaction records, and they all agree with each other. So these are two different consensus models, either proof of work or proof of stake. I mean, uh, uh, there's been a lot talking about energy saving with the proof of stake and all, uh, you know, all the kind of like different consensus mechanism and they consume less energy. But at the end of the day, they are not so fair within uh, the uh, mechanism like proof of work is because you work, you get paid, right? So, yes, that's right. Yeah. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, what is it called? There's no need to get permission. It's permissionless, right? So anyone can become a Bitcoin miner. You don't need to get permission authority from a central company or central organization to say, I want to participate in the Bitcoin network. It's permissionless. That's the beauty of these decentralized systems. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, I think you mentioned that in the book briefly, but I want to put the question to you now. Is there anything that can go wrong with Bitcoin? Well, so I'll talk about it two ways, okay? Bitcoin has been set on this path 14 years ago. So the mechanics of Bitcoin, the rules of Bitcoin were set in motion 14 years ago. The reason Bitcoin today has such a high price is humanity, the people on earth, find this valuable. They find this rule set valuable. They like the fact that there's a decentralized digital cryptocurrency. They like the fact that it has a specific issuance amount of 21 million and no more than that. They like the fact that anyone can participate in the permissionless system permissionless system. They like the fact that you can send any amounts to anyone in the world, any time of the day with no one controlling how much you send, when you can send and who you can send to. Okay. People like that. And, and the more people that discovered Bitcoin in the last 14 years, the more people have liked it. That's why Bitcoin price has gone, gone from just pennies to a few dollars to a few hundred dollars to a few thousand. Now it's over $30,000. Okay, so the question is, in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, the next 50 years, will more people on Earth like this model? If so, Bitcoin will remain successful. But if the people on Earth start not liking this model, then Bitcoin will lose its sort of lead. It will become less and less popular. So it's really not about Bitcoin. It's about the people on the planet. And that's why I wrote this book. I wrote this book to explain what's great about Bitcoin. And then you have to read the examples, read the book, read the con understand the content. I talk about examples I've, I've come across in my life with the banks and investments and all that. And for me, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's for sure Bitcoin is useful. And that's why I have, I have a strong belief that Bitcoin will become more valuable because more people will come and see this and believe in, in this as well that Bitcoin is very, very useful. Okay, so that's one thing external. Now, internally, Bitcoin's algorithm is already set. It's cryptography. So cryptography is very, very strong. The only risk is if quantum computers come sooner than we think. If quantum computers can then break the cryptography for Bitcoin, then what's going to happen? Two things can happen. One is it can break Bitcoin, but I think more realistically, what's going to happen is the Bitcoin people like myself and the programmers and the software developers, the core developers, they will then upgrade Bitcoin to a new level that's quantum proof algorithms. And then that version of Bitcoin will be safe for use even with quantum computers. So we think that might come in 20 years or might come in 50 years or might come in 10 years. But regardless, uh, I believe in the faith of the people. As long as we, the people, want something better, 
we can upgrade Bitcoin to be something better to counter the risk of quantum computers. So those are the two ways to look at the, the threats and uh, dangers of Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, and then uh, obviously we need to mention a regulation because, I mean, based also on your experience, uh, you actually exited at the right time, but you had, you know, the, the largest uh, crypto exchange in China, then China took a very strong stance on Bitcoin and crypto. And then, uh, you know, there is there are also some very interesting uh, progress on regulation, for instance, even Hong Kong that probably you are familiar with. Um, there are some very interesting uh, stance also in Europe, in the UK, the US is a little bit lagging behind. But uh, regulation is important for mass adoption because, you know, even in the book, you mentioned C Cicero and I study Latin. So I know, you know, you have to kind of find uh, the rules that the people need in order to have um, order. I think order yes. is defined by rules. So what and also what I like, and I would like you to expand on this. In the book, you mention some your scenario. How do you see regulation? Uh, the correct, the correct, the best regulation taking place. Please. Yeah. So so regulation is important. I think this this is a new asset. This is not just a small toy as an invention. This is a new asset class that has global ramifications, okay? It's, it's gonna touch everyone's lives because it's money, right? Everyone in the world uses money one way or another. And this is a better form of money than fiat currency. It's even a better form of money than gold. So it's a digital form of money. And in our society, as we move to a more digital, digital world with the internet and so on, uh, and the metaverse and all that, I think it's very important that uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency gets properly regulated. Now, the issue is, Today, you have governments have regulation in all aspects. Uh, governments regulate banks. For sure, we, we know that already. Governments regulate stock exchanges. But governments also regulate real estate. They regulate how buildings are built. They regulate how bridges are made. They regulate food. They regulate alcohol. They regulate drugs, pharmaceutical drugs. They regulate a lot of aspects of our lives. Okay, But the one thing they don't regulate is most governments in the world today don't have a regulatory agency for digital and cryptocurrency assets. Okay, what they do is they have a regulatory agency for for banking. They have one for stocks. They have one for commodities, for trading, and so on. And they use an existing regulatory agency. And those existing regulatory agencies try to regulate cryptocurrency. And in my opinion, that's suboptimal. What I would like to see, what I predict is going to happen, is many countries, maybe the U.S. first, maybe not the U.S will start creating a new regulatory agency specifically for digital assets and digital currencies. And um, once they do that, I think we're going to have proper regulation. But until that, it's going to be a little bit weird because none of the existing regulatory agencies can properly regulate Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which is so different than anything else in the past. So that's my sort of perspective. Do, do you think because there is a lack of education and, and also what can be done more to get all these people, they are, you know, doing the regulation, the government, the politician to get up to speed to these new, uh, these new assets? Um, education is important. I think it just takes some time. I, I don't think there is a specific kind of education. There's no university course or there's no quick way to do this. 
I think it's just going to take some time uh, for that to happen. Yeah, I it might take five years, ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and I like the fact that you actually mentioned you need an agency, that you need a czar, a person that actually has to kind of be the ambassador, let's call it the way. That's exactly, not, yeah. Yeah, so maybe describe a little bit uh, that person and, and uh, the evangelist, maybe you can call it the evangelist of uh, the... Yeah, I, I, in the book I call the czar uh, yeah. evangelist. Basically, you need... You just need a new agency with a new head of the agency who is intimately familiar with digital assets and cryptocurrencies. And then they can sort of navigate and set the right regulatory framework for the issuance, for the trading, you know, for companies who do the custody, um, for the wallet software, you know, for the DeFi stuff. There's a lot of different aspects to it. Also, you know, how to protect investors, uh, how to do fundraising. So it's it's very it's very tricky. It's actually very tricky, right? It's just that today I think different agencies are coming about it from different perspectives. That's why every that's why the crypto industry hates regulation, right? It's because it's being regulated by outsiders who don't know yeah. how it really is, and uh, you know it's 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 just it's just very young. You know, we're we're just just ten twenty we're just ten fifteen years into it. Uh, I think give it another five ten years when it matures a little bit. Um, it also takes some time, right? So today, for example, all the heads of all the regulatory agencies, even the Federal Reserve Bank, they're all old white men, right? And these are people born in the 1950s and 1960s, right? And, you know, in 20 years, you'll have people being born in the 1970s and 1980s, right? And that's when you have crypto-native people starting to become the heads of rel rel uh, regulatory agencies. So it'll be very exciting in 20 years to see who heads up the different regulatory agencies, whether it's the SEC, the CFTC, the Federal Reserve, you know, all these different agencies will be head up by what we consider young people today. And they're going to be crypto natives and it's going to be a much more interesting world. How the traditional uh, framework, the traditional rule and regulation for uh, finance can help uh, to support this new regulation because there is already a framework there that probably doesn't fit Bitcoin and the new assets, but it's still there and maybe it can be useful uh, to kind of direct perhaps. Uh, or how do you see the current rule and regulation helping to form what is the, the next uh, regulatory framework? Well, it, it's already happening, right? Um, the SEC is already you know ruling in. They may not be doing a great way. It's happening the CFTC. I don't think any of the existing rules necessarily uh, have to stay the way they are. I'm hoping that you know after five, ten years, people will say, "Hey, wait a minute, it's not perfect. Let's create a new regulatory agency just to regulate digital assets and digital cryptocurrencies, and then they're going to switch over." So I'm not, I'm not too concerned what rules are there today. I think it's going to take a long time to to sort it all out. Okay, couple of other questions. Bitcoin, you mentioned is basically an economic enabler. And uh, your book, yes. The Case of Bitcoin, uh, you know, describe uh, through all your experience, uh, kind of the key pillar of Bitcoin and, and, uh, and uh, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem and the value as free money. Now, what is the billion dollar question? What is the promise of Bitcoin? The promise of Bitcoin is to revolutionize society with a new kind of money that's digital, uh, that's free for everyone to use, and that's not controlled by any government or agency, and uh, it's returning power to the people. So think about today. Today, money, the vast majority of money 
is in the banking system, right? We, we make money. We surrender the money to the banking system. Sometimes we make money and we never even see it because it goes straight from the bank of the company to the bank of, of, of your bank account, right? So, so when banks and the financial institution have your money, when they have custody of your money, they have so much power. That's why all the tall buildings in all the major cities, they're always named after banks because banks are the most powerful companies on this planet, right? You don't, you don't see, you know, think, think about every major city you go to, all the tallest buildings, it's always a bank, right? Yeah. It's, without fail, it's always like that because it's because that's your money, right? My money in my bank is helping build that building. It's helping put together that building. That's why the name of my bank is on that tall building, right? Um, but what we want is we want to take back control of our own money. And with that, uh, we derive better investment income from it. We derive more power and flexibility and ultimately will empower the people. So that's, that's, the, that's the promise of Bitcoin. Okay, and uh, give a message to anyone starting his Bitcoin journey now. Uh, what would you say? I would say, so there's a lot of noise out there. So with cryptocurrency and NFTs, there's a lot of noise. But remember that Bitcoin kicked it all off 14 years ago, and Bitcoin was to be the digital money. So all the other coins out there, all the other cryptos and the tokens out there, have a different project, have a different promise. So I'm not saying any of them are bad, but they're all very, very different. So none of them can take the place of Bitcoin because they're all doing their own thing, whereas Bitcoin is the original money. Um, so, so for me, I think it's wise for me to, to save my money in Bitcoin and to have that as an investment that can grow faster than the other investment classes such as stocks and real estate and even holding money in the bank account with interest, right? I think Bitcoin, um, to me, is the very promising sort of investment asset class. Uh, now, there are, there are other coins that you can make more money if you get lucky, right? But those are much more of a gamble, more of a casino. Uh, so something to be careful about. There's a lot of hype on these all these other tokens. Most will go nowhere. And uh, yeah. And also the investment process. So, so um, I mean, I'm new to Bitcoin. I want to get exposure to these assets. Obviously, it's going to be a small percentage because the asset is still risky what would be your advice in terms of like in way to invest um altogether yeah. dollar cost averaging yeah if you want to get into bitcoin and crypto dollar cost averaging meaning invest a certain amount certain euro certain us dollar amount every week or every month and then that way if the price is low you buy more of it if the price is high you buy less of it that's called dollar cost averaging dca and then the other thing is, if you're if you have a traditional job and you have other investments like real estate, uh, stock market, gold, then maybe allocate one or two or five percent of your total net worth into into cryptocurrency. And for the amount you invest in the cryptocurrency, personally, I would say put eighty percent in Bitcoin, and the other twenty percent you could do whatever you want. Uh, but it's up to you, right? And, but but I certainly uh, live by my own advice. I I hold Bitcoin as a majority of my crypto assets. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, you just, uh, you know, mention a point about, is that each person responsibility, like any investment, make the decision that is more comfortable for you, do it the way you Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Because at the end, yeah. is, 
you making the decision. So you should also be responsible for the assets that you decide to invest in. Bobby, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you also for writing the book because uh, yes. it's, uh, it's a fantastic uh, uh, Bible for anybody interested in Bitcoin and everybody should because this is an asset that is here to stay and become uh, more and more valuable. And uh, we are all looking forward to see where it goes. Okay, great. Thank you, Steffi.